It's the Beston and Greenway podcast. Carl Beston here. Uh, I'm back. It's, I mean, it's been a while, huh? Uh, my apologies for being MIA uh, for such a long period of time. Moving places, work, losing a week to COVID, you know, has really put a dampener on podcast proceedings. Uh, however, I am back. I'm ready to go for the second half of the NBL season. Uh, I'm looking at, I will be doing a podcast at least one a week. Various guests just reviewing the games, uh, reviewing the teams, and just the big issues that are hitting, which have been hitting every week. Let's be honest, in the NBL, it's a huge season, top five going crazy. But to uh, kick that second half of the season off, I have a massive show for you today. Lucky to be joined by former NBA champion, all NBA team selection, number one NBA draft pick, Boomers legend, NBL MVP, and the, most importantly, the host of the Rogues Bogues podcast, which you should all check out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, etc. Uh, Andrew Bogut, welcome to the show, my brother. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Man, uh... How's life as an NBL owner? You're an NBL owner now. How is it? Yeah, it's good. It's good. Um, you know, there's a lot, a lot that goes into it that I guess people um, wouldn't realise. It's not, it's not a matter of just um, having a percentage and sitting on, sitting on your hands and just money raking in. Um, especially in the NBL, there's, there's a lot of work to do, and there's, it's a constant um, battle to get more fans, more sponsors, and all that kind of stuff, which is, which is the intriguing part of it. it has so much potential. Um, so yeah, it's been it's been enjoyable, but obviously Paul Smith handles more of the day to day um, logistics of, of of sponsorship and networking and all that, and I try to help out where where I can. Yeah, that was another question I sort of had was like, what is your input in the daily running of the business and the future direction of the Kings? And like, I suppose a lot of people will point to the recent signing of Ian Clark, who obviously was a teammate of yours. Um, what what role did you have in that? Like, you know, what what sort of input do you have within the organization? Oh, very active as far as um, player signings and, and and coaching coach hirings. You know, we, we've mm-hmm. had the fortunate or unfortunate reality of having a have three coaches in three years, which mm-hmm. um, which which is nerve wracking at times because you know we, we interviewed, for instance, Chase. We didn't really know a whole lot about him, and then you got to do a mm-hmm. lot of D and D and and talk to different people and um, it's not as simple as just, you know, the, back in the day you do a one-hour interview and you're like, yeah, mate, you got the job. So, you know, if, if you make a mistake with that kind of stuff, it can set your, you know, your organization back years. Um, it can yeah. hurt the development of your young guys. It can, you know, so on and so forth. So I'm very active with that. Um, myself, Luke Longley, Chris Pongrass, very active with that. Um, Paul Smith kind of leaves the basketball stuff and and all that to, to, to kind of the guys that, that know it best, which is us three. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when it when it gets to the business side of things, Paul's obviously much more vocal and active. So we you know we have a board call every week um, where we discuss what's going on, um, injuries, um, how we look and how the guys, all that kind of stuff, some business stuff. So it's um it's come a long way from where it was three or four, five, six years ago, where it'd be one board call a year, right? So we're really trying to just make sure that um, nothing is a surprise. We, we didn't want to have probably a, every week's probably overkill, but it's a good overkill because we don't want to, we don't want to get somewhere where we're like, Hey, we didn't know this guy was injured. Like, Oh yeah, he's mm. been hurt for about three weeks, you know? And so I guess that decision to do a weekly call, sometimes it's 20 minutes, sometimes it's two hours. Um, I think is, is, is very, very important. 
Oh, 100%. And what's it like? I mean, we both, I know Paul as well. He's a, he's a ball of energy. What's it like working with um, Paul Smith as well as the other guys as well, like Chris and Chase, et cetera? Yeah, good. I mean, Chase is obviously a, a young and upcoming coach, mm. um, pretty lauded in, in the G League and probably one of the next young guys to get a either a head assistant spot or potential coaching job in the NBA mm. one day. So we're excited to bring him in. Um, very, very passionate and fiery guy, um, as, as most people have seen. Um, yeah. Really, really shows a lot of emotion and he's passionate about winning and, and we love that about him. Um, so... He's obviously come in with a whole new system, you know, up tempo. So it's been an adjustment for some guys. And look, we had some issues early on with injuries and, and rotations and all that kind of stuff and figuring it out. And it seems like it's starting to come together for us at least the last probably month and a half. Um, and yeah, look, it's it's a challenge. Like I said, it's 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 chess with with human beings essentially. You know, um, finding the right piece, finding the right tenth man, finding the right import, finding the right who do you who do you um, make your Australian star, your marquee, you know, all that kind of stuff. That those those decisions are, are very, very important and they can they can change the direction, like I said, of, of your organization for two or three years. And if you make the wrong decision with a coach or with a star player or you get a you sign someone that's a good player but a bad locker room guy, that can really set you back. And, and we've seen that not just with the Kings in the past, but with with numerous NBL and NBA franchises, they can they can really hurt you. What made you like make the decision to go in? on the NBL and the Kings, like, you know, cause it is a commitment, right? Like you, you've come back from the NBA, then you, you know, you've played in the NBL as well, obviously. I mean, you could have just chilled after your NBA career. What made you make the decision like to go in on the Kings and the NBL? Well, look, it was part of my negotiation initially when I mm. first signed with the Sydney Kings. Um, I just thought I'd like to have it sit there and, and it was always up to me to take up upon the time. Yeah. And if I wanted to, or I could get a payout, for the value at the time of, of, of when I invested um, or when I when I was taking the, mm. the the share, so yeah, I decided to take it up. I enjoyed I enjoyed the direction the Kings were going. I enjoyed working with Paul Smith and Paul Kind, and and then bringing on Luke Longley and Chris Pongrass and the direction that um, kind of the, the grand plan, which will start to come together in the next couple of months, that people will start to hear some 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 pretty big news. Um, hopefully sooner than later, but a lot of big things in the works. A lot of huge things. Um, I would I would argue that we have a few things in the in the pipeline that will um, set a precedent in the NBL and really change the course of of what business should be like with NBL teams. So we're really excited about that. Um, and just yeah, just being able to progress the club forward was something that that um i was excited about but i guess it comes down to the people you're working with you know paul smith gets gets a bad rap at times but he's he's a heart on his sleeve type guy Um, he's not always right he's not always wrong much like myself um Mm. we should theoretically not get along right um because we're very similar um we call it as we see it guys but i think we respect that honesty and i don't always agree with him he doesn't always agree with me but we have honest conversations where you're not leaving a meeting where you're like, um, has he told me everything or have we put everything out on the table? Um, those meetings are always, everything's out on the table. If someone got offended, we, you know, we have a little tear in our eye for, for a couple of minutes and then we get on with it. And I think that's, that's the important way of, of doing business, especially, you know, in 2022, that doesn't happen very often. You need six, six, seven, eight, nine board meetings to get to the root of the, the problem. Whereas we try to just, we don't want to waste time. We just want to get things done. And what are some like, you know, what, what have been some of the biggest challenges that, the, you know, the organization yourself has faced as an owner uh, since you became an owner on the team. Obviously COVID, right? But how, how have you navigated that? Yeah, COVID, COVID was one. <clears throat> um, 
even before that, I mean, we, we didn't anticipate Will leaving mm. that soon. Um, and, you know, you got to give credit to Paul Smith for basically, you know, Will was technically under contract. So we, we're a club that does not want to hinder the aspirations and pathways of our players and management if they can go on to bigger and better things. And um, that probably, you know, wasn't the best decision for the club but it was the best decision for Will, but we saw it as it is going to be a, a good decision for the club long-term to show that we we are supportive of Jay Sean Tate. We are supportive of, you know, uh, myself going back with the Warriors, for instance. You know, they, they didn't have to allow me to do that um, because it's a risk, right? I could have got hurt and then come back for my second year and not played. So we're very supportive of that. So that was the first one, and then that happened during COVID. So now, yeah. you know, right at the start of COVID, we – trying to find a head coach and some coaches were just like, I don't even know if I can get into Australia. Um, I don't even know if I want to, can my wife come in? Can my kids come in? So we, you know, a lot of candidates dropped off at that point. Um, we obviously went with Adam Ford um, and that was the best available for us at the time. And we were pretty excited about that. That obviously didn't work out. And then we were back in, back to square one to have to then find a coach during COVID again. Um, then you factor yeah. in, um, you know, trying to find imports, trying to sign players, players in and out of the country, visas. People don't realise the logistical nightmare that COVID created. And then on on the off court, you got the marketing side of things. You know, you're not playing games. Your sponsors aren't paying bills. You know, um, mm. you know. And then w- what it puts the players through. I've seen a lot this season. Is like you could get a call today saying, "Hey, tomorrow's game's cancelled. Now you're off for another week." Or you just flew to Tassie. We know you just flew there, but we're going to keep you there for two days and you have to wait there till Monday we get further notification from a different government that you're flying to. Um, yeah, you know, the Kings were stuck Kings were stuck in Albury, um, if mm. you remember correctly, last yeah. season where they had to go, go down there and um, kind of quarantine themselves there before they flew somewhere else for two weeks. You know, just, just stuff like that, um, which, you know, you got to give credit to the athletes for, for the most part because they're leaving their, their families and... You look at what the New Zealand Breakers have, have had to go through. Um, it's it's horrendous. You know, they, they've, they've been away from their families now for two straight years, really, um, yeah. with a small batch of, of, of hugs and kisses with their wife and kids. And I, I couldn't imagine doing that. And, um, you know, if I was towards the end of my career, I, I wouldn't, I'd probably wouldn't, I'd probably retire on the spot, to be honest with you, mm. um, because I want to be around my kids and wife. I think um, it's it's tough. So yeah, like that's just a, like a short list, but there's there's even more than that. There's you know staff leaving, staff not staff getting fourteen day quarantines, they can't come to work, and then close contact rules, and you know blah blah blah. So it, it definitely has has caused havoc, not just in the NBL but but sport in general. I had a question actually. It kind of just come up out of the blue after that discussion. There is. Like was, you know, with the Will situation, for example, right? Like that Will, you know, this is, this is, you know, they've got wanted commodities in the global coaching market, right? Chase, as you mm-hmm. said earlier, is that sort of guy too, where he's looking, you know, like where he is a potential lead assistant on an NBA franchise, for example. Is there any hesitation in, in making an international hire based on that grounds on the concern that that might happen again after like did the will experience color that with chase or are you just like you know what we got to just got to go all in best coach available best guy available this is uh, chases our guy sort of thing yeah it does a little bit look we were really um honest about you know our deal with chase and and mm. the contract situation so we're comfortable with that i think just to be clear, we we could have been we could have played hardball with Will and said, 
no, you're contracted to come back for a year. Um, I think yep. it was a two year plus one, I think, I believe it was, mm. or it might've been a three year, but I think it was two plus one. And we could have we played hardball and said, you're contracted. Or on the flip side, we could have said, cool, like you can go, but you're also buyout. Um, yep. And we didn't do that. We, we, we felt like it wasn't the right thing to do. We, we felt like Will has been an integral part of the boomers and Australian basketball and culture. And, and we, we felt like that um, as, as, you know, it probably wasn't, some people would say it probably wasn't the right decision because then now we're back to square one with coaching, right? Mm. Um, but, you know, having having that ally now in the NBA, he'll potentially, he will be a head coach one day in the NBA. Having that ally, long-term networking for imports, for this, for that, I think it's a smart move. Yeah. Why burn that bridge now when you can have someone in your corner like that that was like, hey, like Paul Smith, Andrew Boat, the Sydney Kings, they did me right. They could have... They could have made life hard for me. Um, they could have could have clipped me for three, you know, two, three, four hundred grand when I signed, you know, over there in Houston as a buyout. Right? Um, we didn't do yep. that. So, but on the flip side, yeah, we have to be careful that we're not that you know chase now in in three months time in the season says see you later boys thanks for the one year stopover we don't want to be that club neither so there is a bit of a balance and I think it's just all about fairness and and and, and we've learned from from that like where where we have conversations now with. Like like Chase, where we say, "Hey, we we need we need a minimum of X commitment from you now." Um, that's what this job entails, and you know that's that's what you got to kind of commit to, and and we're quite quite clear on that with um, with Chase. Yeah, and how's how's the relationship with other owners? Um, yeah, because the NBL, right? So you know, the NBL is only as strong as all of its clubs, right? And a rising tide lifts all boats. To use the old cliche, right? So. How do you guys all work together? Are the relationships good? How, you know, like obviously it's been tough navigating COVID. How have you found the relationships with other owners and around the league? Oh, look, it's been interesting. It's been on and off. Um, we mm-hmm. had a we had a pretty active group chat for a while there. We were trying to form a, a owners, owners type union or owners yep. collaborative that is on the same page. But, you know, it's hard because, you know, the league, the league are also owners of teams. So, yeah, um, it's kind of hard to have those honest discussions when you've got the league in the room, right? Um, yeah. And I'm not saying it's a good or bad thing. It's reality. Like it's like when, mm. when there's owners meetings in the NBA, um, they're owners only. Like no one from the league is in that meeting, right? Um, it's the best, strictly the best interests of the owners. And I think um, that has, to be quite honest with you, fizzled out. There's not a whole lot of communication mm. within the owners only group anymore. Um, that's kind of fizzled away and, and it's it's kind of a push pull thing. Some people, are, some clubs are aligned more to kind of we do whatever the NBL says because they're helping us. The smaller markets yep. get obviously a, a bit more money from the league, and then you got some 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 clubs that are organised, you know, um, within themselves to run their business themselves that probably want to distance themselves a little bit. So it's it's a mixed bag, and there's with a collaborative like that, you just can never get the a collective decision. So we, you know, it's it's kind of fizzled out to be honest with you. And yeah, um, I mean for the most part. You kind of have to work together, especially during COVID, because it might be a, a matter of hey, um, like Perth, for instance, they they lost a bunch of home games early on, so then you got to negotiate with other teams. Can we play you here, and then we'll give you this back, or blah blah blah. So um, th- that has happened throughout, and yeah, it's it's just a unique league where you know it's the clubs don't have equity in the league, um, and that is Larry's decision, and and by all means, uh, I've caught flack from him and and, and the league previously or, or fans per se and well it's his league he can do what he wants yep t- i totally agree but it is it is a strange setup where you know um there's there's the the, the clubs themselves don't really have a say in, in what the league's doing you know 
Yeah, yeah, it creates complications. Uh, you so like you know you've been obviously involved in the NBA. You've obviously been involved with NBA owners, etc. Do you ever like hit them up? Do you ever like you know hit up like say a Mark Cuban or whatever from your time at Dallas and and pick their brains about ownership and moving forward in business, etc. Um, a little bit. Look, Kirk Lacob's been a pretty good mm. um, reference point for for myself and even Chris Pongrass. Um, mm. So there's been there's been some remnants, but I used to just watch and observe a lot, um, much to what people think, you know, because I'm pretty outspoken. I'm 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 pretty at times when I'm around people that are uh, are very very smart or kind of the top of their tier. I try to just observe without them knowing I'm observing. Mm. So I spent a lot of time watching how Mark Cuban went about things, how Joe Laker went about things without them really even knowing it and and just taking mental notes. So, I mean, there's no right or wrong way to be the owner of a team. As we know, Mark Cuban's probably one of the most, him and Barman now, probably the most kind of visual, in-your-face, passionate owners. I mean, Mark Cuban's in timeouts. You know, he gets into yeah. timeouts. Like, it's, it's, it, was, it was crazy when I, when I was in Dallas for that short pit stop. Like, he's literally in our timeouts putting his hands in every timeout. Um, that's how passionate he is about it. He's in the locker room pregame working out on the, on the elliptical. Like, he's, he's around and you see him every day. When I was with the Milwaukee Bucks, we had Senator Herb Cole and he, you know, he was a senator in Wisconsin and was kind of phasing out of that. But then he was kind of an, not an absent owner, but he wasn't around a lot. He, he kind of saw it as I'm the owner of the team. I hire a GM and a coach and they 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 do the, the work. I don't want to be mudding those waters. So you'd see him maybe once a month, right? So um, every owner is different. There's no right or wrong way. And I kind of try to take the best out of out of all those all those people. And, and you know, it's obviously hard right now i'd like to be around the kings much more than i am to be honest yep. with you but with with everything going on with COVID and border closures and um making travel a nightmare uh it's been it's, it's been a little bit harder than i thought a hundred percent and um as a player just out of curiosity as a player which approach did you prefer did you prefer the the, the one of the boys mark cuban always present or did you prefer more the absent owner hmm I thought it was well, when you first are with the Mavs. It's strange because not many teams do it. You just don't see it. So mm. I was like, "Whoa, what is going on here?" But I respect it. Like you're, he's paid billions of dollars for a franchise. If he wants to run around in his underwear, he can. Like he owns the team, right? So I, I like the fact that he was passionate. I'm not saying the people that weren't around as much or the owners that weren't around as much are not passionate. There are some notorious NBA owners, at least historically, that strictly owned it as an investment and didn't care about. Mm the betterment of the team or how the team was doing or are, you, are they comfortable? Can I get the best players, coaches? They, you know, the Clippers come to mind, right, of the, of the 90s, yeah. 80s and 90s or, well, yeah, 90s where it was just literally as long as my franchise value is going up, I don't care if we win or lose. So um, those owners I, I wouldn't really want to be around. But, I mean, for the most part, um, I don't mind the Mark Cuban approach of, of being around. But, look, it can, it can, it can money the waters at times. You know, if you're in, yeah. you're in a negotiation with player X, um, everyone knows, you know, the GM's negotiating, but the owner ticks off and a deal doesn't get done on an extension and then he's, that owner's then around all the time. It can get a little bit testy, but that's just a part of the NBA and being a professional. Is there anything from your time in the NBA that particularly stuck out to you that you've transferred across into your role as an owner now? Yeah, I think just from being a player, um, I think at least with in the NBA and even with the national team to an extent, there's so many things that you can do that aren't, aren't going to cost a lot of money that mean a lot to the players, right? Mm -hmm. So 
And that's what I try to stress with Basketball Australia all the time was like there's a lot of – because, you know, with Basketball Australia, there was a, there was some sentiment, at least mm. in the past, of we're not the NBA, we don't have the budget to do this. And that was kind of always the excuse. But um, it was – a lot of it was just basic organizational structuring and just, just thinking outside the box, like, you know, um, whether it be with the food provided or scheduling some extra massages for guys or just small things like that trying to just make sure the players are getting things that they should get but don't always expect, especially in the NBL. I think there were times where teams would run on strict budgets where they, you know, funny story, but there's a there's a, a player that I spoke to and he was with a, with a certain team up north in the NBL mm-hmm. and um, their masseuses, they had a couple of years but they were real budget strung. Their, their masseuses were, um, you know, your little shopping center uh, massage parlors, right? <laughs> you know, with the windows that were not you slightly see through grayed the out. Yeah, and and basically, you know, <laughs> these were team masseuses. Um, a few of the boys were offered offered a happy ending. You know, um, <laughs> and, uh, you know that that's the kind of stuff that that has gone on, um, and it's, that's that's not very professional because it's <laughs> us. Uh, where, where can we get the cheapest masseuses? Yep, go there. All right, and that was kind of the mentality a lot, at least in Australian you know, NBL and, and, and BA mm. and that it was always trying to just I remember being with the national team at one point where our team manager would sneak in a slab of cans of soft drink to restaurants, right? And put it yeah. under the table and be like, Boys, don't order drinks, I've got them here. Like I'm not joking. This was the national oh, thing. Shit. Yeah. And so I guess it's that. It's that side of things. It's like small little things of making the guys for an extra hundred dollars here or hundred dollars there, it it makes a big difference and puts a smile on a guy's face and they feel much yeah. comfortable. Um I'm not talking about spending fifty thousand dollars on a recovery device. I'm just talking about those small things. So as an owner, I think I'm I'm really big on on those things um, that there shouldn't be an excuse of why we're not doing that. Yeah, and you know, speaking of players and that, right? Like, what made you come back? Like, you had a you had an amazing career in the NBA. You're an All NBA player, or All NBA team player. What like what made you come back to the NBL? Oh, it was a kind of a snowball effect of things, um, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, I went from obviously Milwaukee to I lived in the US for you know 15, 16, 17 yep. years with college, and um, so 2016 I get I get traded during national team camp, obviously to make room for the KD deal with Golden State. I kind of knew mm-hmm. it was coming, and um, my wife had fallen pregnant earlier that year in 2016, mm-hmm. so we're expecting late. Late 2016, we get married that year. I'd always planned on having kids um, at a point where they start school when I'm phasing out of my career. So we're based wherever we're based. I always had that plan. So early 30s, I'd have kids. And then, you know, 30, I retire 34, 35, 36, they're starting school. And I'm living wherever I'm living. That's where we're at. No more moving, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, the, so then that happened. I get, I get moved to Dallas. Have a great Olympics individually. Um, we mm-hmm. finish fourth uh, again, um, but play really well go to Dallas, don't play that well, don't fit in well, um, you know, just a whole different system to adjust to. Didn't didn't really play to my strengths there too much and just was not playing, not in a good mental space. I think the pressure mm. of of moving again, having a child, all of that was kind of starting to eat at me a little bit. And then the Dallas thing, you know, um, happened. So, you know, they come to me basically before All-Star, like we're, we're, we're going to try to move you. If not, we'll buy you out. And I was like, great. And then I can sign with a contender or or get to a team that's got a chance to compete off the bench, whatever. 
so that all happens. I get, you know, I get traded to um, Philly and then they wave me. I sign with Cleveland, play mm. for 60 seconds, um, break yeah. my leg. And then I'm stuck in Cleveland in a hotel, you know, crappy hotel room next to a hospital um, mm. with a newborn um, at the time who wasn't sleeping. Um, and I was stuck there for six weeks. I couldn't, I couldn't leave. They're like, you can't, we don't want you to travel home because of, because of blood clot reasons. Um, so I'm stuck mm. in, you know, no, no one in Cleveland, just myself, my wife, wife can't go outside. It's snowing. So from a mental point of view, it was really, really hard. I was, you know, I couldn't, couldn't really get to the shower. I had a cast, mm. you know, on, on my leg the whole time. Um, and basically would wake up at seven and be lying in bed till, till I went to bed really. Um, went downstairs once and was in a lot of pain and had to just basically go back to my room. I just went downstairs to the hotel lobby to eat some dinner and it was that was a journey in itself. So did all that. Um, finally was allowed to fly home. That was a that was a trip in itself. Um, started to fly on a long leg from Dallas to to Sydney direct, like you know, 14, 15 hours, did that, got back to Australia. And then it was all about rehabbing the broken leg. So did all that, rehab the broken leg. Um got back to um, to health somewhat, um, came back very, very quickly from it, mind you. I came, I think I broke it in, when did I break it in, um, in March? I was back on the court already, like August, September, um, working out, and then get a, I get a, a vet min offer from the Lakers, non-guaranteed, and I'm like, look, I don't wanna, I don't wanna move there, move my family there for a non-guaranteed deal. They're like, yeah. look, it's just the way the owner likes to do things, it's the last roster spot when, you know, if you're healthy, and everything's okay and you're, you're, you're contributing off the bench for us, well, we're not going to wave you, don't worry about it. So I was like, all right, cool. They gave me their word on it. Um, this was Rob Palinka to my agent because otherwise I wouldn't have went for a non-guaranteed deal. So yep. I go over there, um, had some back issues early on. Um, that all ceased and then was actually playing, you know, five to ten minutes a night for him, had some good games for him off the bench. And um, around January – Right before my guarantee date, was, I think it was the seventh. They they basically say, "Oh, we're going to waive you because we, we suck right now. There's no point having you on the bench, um, and we're going to waive you." So I was like, "Okay, like you Thanks, told me, you, you know, yeah." And, and bring my family out there. I remember Luke Walton came over, was like really apologetic. He's like, "This is bullshit. I try to try to fight for you, but look, Magic Magic didn't like me. Rob didn't like me, um, which was fine." And um, so then I'm now I'm like, "Okay, so now what do I do?" So we move out of our home. The plan was to stay in LA for a couple of months and wait till, you know, because I was a free agent, wait till after trade deadline. I had, had about five or six teams that were like, look, we want to sign you, but we want to wait till trade deadline just in case we need a roster spot for making moves. We don't want to sign you and then and then need a roster spot. So we're just going to wait and then just wait till post trade deadline and then we'll offer you, you know, the rest of the season, we'll offer you a deal for the rest of the season. It was, you know, I think it was Boston, Toronto, um, I think Philly was in there at that time. There was, there was like four or five, six teams, right? So I was like, okay, cool, that makes sense. So I'll just stay in LA and work out. So I did all that. And then um, my grandfather died in, uh, it was around February. So what I had done, I, I'd sent my wife and kids home um, before my grandfather died. So it was, mm. it was um, I think late January. It was just too hard living out of a hotel in LA. So I sent them yeah. home. I said, just go base yourselves in Australia for now. I'll stay here and work out by myself did that and then and then you get a call in, in like february um from my my sister at like 3 a.m saw a call in the morning knew something was up and yeah my grandfather died so i fly back for that um i go see 
you know, go to the funeral, do all that stuff. And it was like late February. Um, mm. My wife was pregnant again. Um, baby was due mid-year of uh, 18 and deemed a high-risk pregnancy, like yeah. high-risk, um, had some issues. And so I was, I was sitting there and I'm like, look, like, do I, do I really fly back to the US to pick up a, a deal for two or three more months, mm. a vetmin deal with one of these teams to go on a playoff run? Um, after everything that's happened, my wife's my wife probably shouldn't be flying. Um, do I want to fly her back to the US and then back to Australia again and blah, blah, blah. So I just made a decision, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm not going to re-sign with anyone. Yeah. Um, we still got calls when when March kicked around, like, hey, do you, you want to come? We've got a spot for you. Mm. said no. Um, and then I was like, you know what, like we're having our second child. Um, a lot's gone on. Mentally, I'm not in a great space. Maybe I should just look to, you know, get some normality back in my life, play yeah. one or two games a week. And then that's when the NBL was a thought process for me. So I was like, okay, maybe I should stay stay in Australia. Um, 2020 Olympics was a main goal for me. And I thought, look, if I can play in Australia for eight, 18 and 19, it'll be a perfect segue right into your perfect journey to get into 2020 Olympic team healthy, mm -hmm. right? Rather than going to the yep. NBA and grinding for 82 games. So that's when that, popped into my head and um, as you know, you know the whole story around Melbourne United and that fall yeah, over, yeah. but they were the first club I reached out to and then ended up signing with the Sydney Kings. But that's basically, it's a long thought process and and story of how I got there, but it wasn't mm. as simple as just wanting to stay home. It was, there was a lot of things mentally and physically that, that led to that decision. You miss playing? Of course, yeah. I, I mean, early on, early on I didn't as much because my body was mm. so banged up um, when I first retired, but... I miss you. Just miss the competitiveness of it more yeah. than anything. But um, I don't miss I don't miss not being able to come home and play with my kids because my back's messed up or yeah. being sore. I think that's you know my mind. Your mind can trick you as an athlete. Like right now, I feel like I could go play an NBA game or an NBL game, mm. right? Because my body feels great. And yeah. it's not until you do that every day for a week that you're like, oh, I think I made the wrong decision. You know, so I'm at a point where I'm content with with the decision and. I'm happy with where my body's at, and I can enjoy kind of the next phase of my life. But um, yeah, look, you you always think that you can you can do it. That's just the stubbornness and stupidity of of a professional athlete's brain, right? You think oh, I can still give give something, and yeah. then you're halfway through, you regret it, and you're grinding, and you're ice bathing, and you're taking anti inflammatories, and it and becomes like, a struggle. Why do I do this again? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and yeah, so it, it obviously was a brutally tough decision to retire, right? Like what. What was the tipping point just to make that decision? I always had it in the back of my mind. Like after mm. the after my last NBL season, I was I was pretty banged up because I'd gone from my first NBL season back to the Warriors, um, back to the NBL again. I'm sorry, back to the Warriors and then the World Cup and then back to the Kings again. So there wasn't a whole lot of rest. And I kind of did that on purpose. I was like, you know what? I'm going to suck it up for these two years and play as much as I can um, to get to the Olympics. And, you know, that, that last King season, my back was really on, on knife's edge. It was like touch and go every other day. I mean, I got through most of the season unscathed. They rested me a few games, but the back was just not great. Mm. Um, and then we'd, we'd basically gone on a holiday in April after my second NBL season. And I was going to get some sun for a month or two up, up north and then start working out again. And, um, yeah, the coronavirus stuff blew up. And then there was rumors about, you know, the Olympics being delayed and I was like, I'd put all my marbles in August, 2020. Like, yeah, that's, and I knew after that, 
as soon as that last Olympic game, whether it be a gold medal game or a bronze, I'm, I'm putting my hand up and saying, it's been great, fellas. It's been great basketball, Australia. See you later. Yeah. And that got pulled and they're like, yeah, it's going to go 20. We're going to move to 21. And I'm like, I don't think I have enough in the tank to go sign, mm. whether it be with the Kings or NBA or whatever, for another season of professional basketball to get to yeah. the Olympics again. And I knew to be, you know, to make that team, I need to be playing somewhere. Like mm. I need to be in shape and show that I can still function as a as a basketball player. And I didn't think I had that in the tank. I, I really didn't. I thought, you know, I can't go through another season of Anthony Flams and mm. and not being able to take my kids and push them on the swing and all that kind of stuff. So the more 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 thought I gave it, the more it looked like COVID wasn't going to cease. Um, and then I was just like, you know what, I, I, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to yeah. sign somewhere. And I'm, I'm really glad I didn't because I, I wouldn't have dealt well with all the restrictions and rules around the past few seasons in the NBL and all the NBA, um, to be honest. Yep. So I think it just all, all kind of made sense to hang them up. And you obviously have a very good relationship with Gorge, right? You've known him forever. Um, how did he try and twist it? It was much publicized. He tried to twist the arm. He didn't get close to twisting the arm. Oh, look, I had some regret in making the decision um, as far as letting the guys down. Joe Ingles was probably the worst one. Like, he was breaking my nuts about it every other week. Like, I'm going to keep texting you all the time till you commit that you're going to play. And I said, look, you guys have enough. I mean, I'm, I'm probably giving you 15, 20 a night. Um, you, I think you guys have enough to be competitive and, and, and battle for gold. And um, But, yeah, Gorge, Gorge was one. Even I remember, you know, we had a had a group uh, chat. I think it was myself, Bainsey. Paddy, Joey, and Delhi, so kind of the leadership yeah. group of the Boomers. And when I told them, they were just like, "Come on, man, just you know, it's just one more year." Um, but I was just mentally and physically fried at that point, and just thought, yeah. I, I, "Fellas, I just can't, I can't sustain another year playing professionally somewhere." Um, and I know that if I sit out for a year and then just try to join a Boomers camp, like I'm going to be behind the eight ball, you know, mm. you know, four or five week preparation camp, I'm not going to be up to speed to make that team. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, there, there was some disappointment there, and but the guys understood, and they were, you know, they were pretty supportive. But at the end of the day, yeah, and everyone talks about the special bond that exists between the Boomers group, and you just spoke about Joe hitting you up, Delhi hitting you up, whatever. Right? What, what was it apart? Like you know, people call it the golden era, right? It's the second golden era to the you know the Gaze Hammer, Bradkey era. Now you guys come through, and you know more more credentialed with NBA, etc. Um, what was it like being a part of that special group? Oh, it was. It was great, like to see where where our national team had gone from. Um, look, you had the the golden era of of, of Gays, Bradkey, and Longley, and and all those guys. Um, I think there was a major cliff edge fall off um, early two thousands. Like so, basically, you know, all the all the legends just I think they just played so long, and mm. and whether that's the right thing or the wrong thing, you can't fault their decision. They made the team, but I think. After the two thousand, everyone wanted to get to the two thousand Olympics. Mm. Um, you know, whether you're on your last legs or whatever, it's like home, home, home soil Olympics, big deal. Sydney two thousand millennium. So there's a bunch of those guys mass retired in two thousand. <laughs> so then mm. it went, holy shit! Like, where's our young guys? Where's our development? Well, there wasn't yeah. really any because Gaze was what thirty six, thirty seven, thirty eight at that mm. point. You know, all the old dogs were, were older, that were still filling roster spots and playing big minutes. There was no next generation mm. coming up, and that's a separate argument with national teams and why it's so hard with national teams because I think there's an onus on national teams that your your ten, eleven, twelve spots need to be some young development guys mm. um, that are fringe but are young so they can be in the system. You know, which is why yeah. 
Giddy, um, you know, I thought probably Giddy should have been on that team. Yeah. As a, as a, but on the flip side, if you're gorge, you're like, oh, I want my best twelve to win a medal. Right. So it's, it's kind of it's kind of hard, right? Um, but I think there need, definitely needs to be an onus on development. But I think so. That's that's where all that went. Um, and then yeah, so when I when I joined the national team in '04, um, it was basically an NBL team for the most part. Um, myself and David Anderson, I think, were the only really overseas-based guys, if I remember yep. correctly. I think because we had Paul Rogers, Catalini, Brett Maher, CJ, um, Jason Smith, Shane Heal, you know, uh, you know. so I think Tony Rawlinson was on that team. So John really, yeah, so everyone everyone was, it was basically an NBL team. So, And then rebuilding that back to where we needed to be, you know, it was hard. We weren't very competitive. Um, I remember being with the national team at that point. It was – guys were just more pumped about being a boomer and getting a jersey and – being in that select group on Olympic Games and it was nowhere near about like let's let's try to get to the top four or let's try to for us basically an, an unwritten rule was like let's just try to get to the out of our pool <laughs> that was a goal yeah um so that kind of pissed me off a little bit because mm. I'd come back from the NBA and you know there were certain guys in certain tournaments that would be you know asking for autographs from LeBron you know in, mm. before or after games and I'm just like like really like I get yeah. it you know, it's a once in a lifetime opportunity for them, but like you've lost the battle already, right? The mental mm. battle, um, you know, so there was that and it was a transition process just getting the national team to a point where we're competitive and then the next step was where we're actually not just competitive, but we're, we've got a chance to win a medal and, and it was just yeah. that changing that belief and that really changed probably 2015. We had the Oceanias um, and 2016, then we went on to the Rio Olympics. That's when that, that really changed mm. and it was a matter of like we're going to this tournament we might as well try to win it <laughs> like why yeah. are we going into a tournament saying hey if we get sixth that's great or hey mm. if we get out of the pool round let's have some beers that's a that's a cause for celebration it's like no it's not like we're already here let's give it a fair shake everyone's beatable and and that's when the mindset started to shift we, we had enough mm. players with runs on the board that were playing vital minutes or integral roles for the NBA team. So they'd bring back that confidence. And then that then relayed to our European-based boomers or our NBL-based boomers that, hey, like we can, we can punch above our weight. And now we are where we're at. We're, we're definitely a competitive force. Now we're on the other side of the ball. So I'm interested to see how it goes in the next Olympics where we are one of the top dogs that's expected to do well. How do we handle that now? Are we going to, are we going to, rolling there thinking we're superstars and, and get knocked out early or are we going to continue that, that boomer tradition? And that was something that was always instilled in the boomers program was we always punch above our weight. Yeah. But it's starting to transition now into everyone else is kind of starting to be below. You know, we're top three in the world, right? So yeah. every other country is trying to punch up to you. So now it's a mentality shift for the, for the boomers players and coaches. And correct. And it's a, it's a shift too from chasing a medal to then like going, hey, we can win this thing too. Right, like there is a mentality there, and that's the that's the like I always talk about you guys, like the you know the World Cup run as as well as the Olympic run, right? The World Cup run, you probably you know like you're a free throw or or ten seconds away from like in all likelihood. I don't I don't mean to disrespect Argentina; they're a great team, but you, you know you like you guys probably win a World Cup if that last thirty seconds goes mm. right, right? It, it's such a fine line now between like even gold. And bronze, right? Like, look at the French. The French pushed the US. Everyone will talk about, oh, the US won that final. That was a tight final. And if Kevin Durant doesn't get to the Olympics and isn't, you know, like fit, then they don't win that, right? So, like, it, there is such a fine line in these things. And 
I mean, I, I don't mean to retread, o- you know, like tread over old old wounds and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, but is there, a, you know, there's obviously disappointment with that as well, right? But th- there's obviously the disappointment. But is there a sense of pride too that, you know, you were that close to being on top of the world of, of global basketball? Yeah, for sure. Look, and, and there's no consolation prizes for where we were finished. Mm. Um, but, yeah, we, we were real close and that's that's the – the beauty and the harshness of international basketball. One game, whether yep. early or late in, in in a tournament, can derail your whole tournament. Um, you know, a bad game in the pool round could have you cross over with the US earlier than you want to, right? You yep. face them in the quarters instead of the semis or all that kind of stuff plays and that's why international basketball, same as the NCAA, it's, it's brutal. It's one game. There's no none of this. Yeah. You know, to be honest with you, if it was a seven-game series, the US would never lose. Never, mm. I don't think. You know, the fact that it's a one-off game – you know, um, they get in foul trouble. There's an injury. Some KD has a bad shooting night. They're beatable, but mm. over the course of seven games, they're not. But that's the beauty of international basketball. And unfortunately, like that World Cup, you know, a phantom foul on me um, yeah. against Gasol after he fouled the shit out of me. I wrestled back with him. I get called for a foul that had nothing to do mm. with the rebound contest. Ball bounces the other way. Patty misses some free throws, and then Delhi misses a floater. They're mm. three things that could have, you know, unfortunately were 0 for 3 in the luck bounce on all three of those. Correct. <laughs> one of those one of those goes our way. We're in a gold medal game. Medal you game. know, we're at minimum a silver medalist. So, yeah, there and is, they're three there is shot, a bit of – they're three things that, you you know, you'd expect in 95% of the occasions that's going in, right? Like like Delhi's uh, like got a you know good floater. That's likely. Patty's like a above 85% free throw shooter. That's going to happen yeah. in those calls. Are, so, like, the odds are in your favor in all those three instances as well, right, which is the yeah. crazy part. But that's life, exactly. right? Uh, well, then that, and then you factor in that it was Spain again, and you factor in 2016 yeah. Rio. Paddy gets called for a phantom foul and on foul. Rubio. They have four free throws for their four mm. points with 40 seconds left in the game. All their points were from the line. You know, just like there was some some shadiness with those calls, and I still, mm. I still, you know, it is what it is. It's basketball. Yep. It's the luck of the draw and luck of the whistle. But you know, it, it definitely felt like we were hard done by um, against Spain with the whistle every time we we played them and. Um, I'm not the only one to think that. I was just more vocal about it than, than all the other guys. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah, yeah, exactly. There's people who yeah. are willing the same people who aren't. Um, I, the other question I had too is like, how do you project the boomers going forward from here? Because there's a transition period, right? Where, where you know, Joe, Joe, Patty, et cetera, are all going to be older again. Like n- not a criticism. That's father time. That's the way it works, right? But then you have guys like Josh coming through. Um, like, do you see a progression or a regression from where we were at Tokyo? Oh, look, there's, there's a lot that goes into it. Does Gorge come back? Yeah. Um, he's getting older. He has, I believe he hasn't committed yet. Um, mm. I don't know where that's at with Basketball Australia. I haven't heard, but I know that's not done. Where do they go with the coaching ranks? I know, you know, Paddy will be involved again. Joey will be mm. involved again. They'll want Gorge. Um, yeah. So interested to see where that all goes. Um, but, yeah, I think they'll still be – will still be a – one of the favorites for sure. I mean, we, yeah. we just have a really, a really, really balanced roster. We played a beautiful style of basketball. Um, you know, it will be, I think it will be Josh Giddy's team at that point. I mm. think he'll be, we're going to go as far as he takes us. Does Ben Simmons play is a big question mark again that's going to be around the group. Yeah. Um, I think Dante's stopover in Europe is going to really help, really him. help him. Yeah. Not only for the NBA when he gets back there, I think he will be back there one day. I think internationally it'll it'll provide us now with a guy that's playing, you know, the best internet, you know, 
Euro mm. Euro League is the best international basketball. FIBA, yep. you, you can yeah, and he's going to be attuned to how to how to play that style. Right, that's a big plus. Um, you obviously got Paddy Joey. There's Bainsey go again. Who knows? Um, we'll see if he gets back to to full health and where he plays next season. Um, Matisse Thibel, um, Green. You know, there's a lot of young prospects coming up, mm. and then and then you know we've got the, um, the you know a lot of kids coming up through college and the G League mm. as well that have the potential to be drafted in the next couple of years too. So Daniels is one, um, mm. you know, so there's a lot of a lot of really good prospects, but it all comes down to fit. You know, my concern is once you lose Paddy, Joey and Bainsey and mm. Dally, um, if he's around still, it's it's like who who takes over that leadership role about the chip on the shoulder, be proud to play for your national team. You know, I think Paddy's done a great job with establishing a culture there um, mm. and making sure that, that it means something, you know, to, to yeah. you're, you're one of the elite group that's played for the national team. My concern is who takes those reins. I think it's, it's probably going to be Josh Kitty. Yeah. Um, but that's one guy. We, we need we need a committee of two, three, four guys for that to work. It, it, the, the biggest problem national teams have is when you've got different teams every campaign. That's where it's real hard. When you've got, oh, I'm yeah. not going to play this season. I'm not, uh, sorry, this off season, I'm tired or blah, 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 blah. And unfortunately, the reality is that's what we see with Ben, you know, so that, mm. that could be a bit of a problem because, look, if he comes in and plays for the national team, he's going to be the loudest guy in the room. He will be looked yeah. at, looked upon as whether he is or not or likes it or not as, as probably the leader of that group. But I think from more of a consistency basis and wanting to play, Josh would be that guy. So there's a lot of things up in the air, but I think I'm, I'm comfortable still with, with our national team being very good and everything being good as long as that leadership group we currently have is still around. But yeah, to your point, once they start falling off, so it might not be this next Olympics, it might be the one after or the 2020, what is it, seven World Cup, um, that, that, that's when you start to have a bit of concerns about who's going to show, who's going to be in that light now of, of being the leadership and putting the best interests of the national team on their shoulders. Yeah, and there's also a certain element to of the experience and, and just being a hard ass, right? Like there's some, you know, there is a element of toughness and an element of... Um, sort of grit and just having been down that road before as we kind of as you spoke about earlier with getting development guys through that is added to that as well and it's going to be interesting to see yeah you know, whenever you got a transfer in that sort of um, process like there is going to the difference in leadership will be huge as, as yeah and the rest will for whose you know the rest will for whose team it is you know uh, there's been reports that we discussed on, on the Robo series last week where where Ben Ben and Joel Embiid and um, Jimmy Butler and there were some issues there with whose team is. So that could be an issue if Ben plays. You know, there could be uh, an issue where he thinks it's his team, Josh thinks it's his. I don't know, I'm making this up, but that's that's a part of team culture and team building is, no, it's the national team. It's no one's team. It's our team. Let's play our roles best for this six weeks. Suck it up. You might not have the best role that you have with your club team. You know, that's the other thing with national teams. Every, every guy that comes to a national team, generally speaking, is in – a major rotation with their NBA, NBL, or Europe club, and if not in a major rotation player, they're a star of their team. You know, yeah. um, Chris Chris Golding. Um, you know, Dante now with Barcelona, mm. one of the more integral parts. Um, you know, Ben Simmons when he was a Philly and now with with Brooklyn, like they're all the man on their team. So you can't put together twelve players that are all the man. <laughs> like it just doesn't no, work well. Right. So then it's like, hey, we don't need you to score twenty for us. We need you to score ten. 
we don't need you to play 35, we need you to play 20. Some players don't take that well, and that's the biggest challenge with the national team. And you see it with Canada, right? They've got one of the most mm. talented rosters in the world, arguably, and they, they just cannot put it together because it's you can tell when they put it together, it's it's me, me, me. Like, I'm getting screwed, yeah. I'm getting screwed, I'm better than this. And they should arguably be a top five power in, in international basketball, but they just they cannot put it together. Well, alternatively, you have a country like Lithuania, right, where you only got a couple of million people uh, and they produce – I know they weren't in Tokyo. You know, they lost to Slovenia like many other teams did, right? Um, but that's a team that's always over – like it's very similar to you guys in the sense that they're, they're a team that's always – sort of per population is always overachieved, right? So it's all about whether your country has that history and whether it has that commitment to doing these things. Um, I had another question. Is I have? I'll let you run in a second, man. I know. I know you're you're busy, but uh, you spoke about obviously Dante at Barcelona. How real was the? You know, like say for example, like how real was? How tough was the decision for you to go, choose between say like a college career, or in, alternatively, like you know, you have a Croatian background, you have a European background, like choosing a path going through Europe as a young player. Was there a real decision there, or? Like, uh, did that ever come into thought process? Oh, for me, it did for sure. Yeah. Um, look, I, I didn't, uh, I felt whether I was or wasn't, I felt hard done by in the Australian basketball junior in the junior system. Yeah. You were, man. Like, I was in the um, same, like, I was a couple of years behind, but like, yeah, you were. There's no question. Yeah, go yeah, on. Yeah, but I think that helped me though at the same time. Like, I wouldn't yeah. change the journey that I had, but there were times we were frustrated because it was just like, I knew my love and passion for the game, the time I put into the game was more than any other kid in mm. Victoria at the time, right? So um, it got to a point where I was working with my trainer at the time at, at mm. 15, 16, a personal coach that my, my parents had hired for me and it was kind of like, look, if, if I don't if I don't get an opportunity to, to, to be in the state team or the national team by 16, 17, I already had my trainers half Serbian, half Croatian. We already had, had, had talks and a pipeline set up to go to Tabona in, in Zagreb, right? Um, and that was on the cards. It was – I'm not saying it was done, but it was mm. within six, seven months that conversation would have got serious. Would have joined the academy there and would have moved over there, had family there. And then – you know, thankfully, you know, I'm not going to lie. God knows what national team I played for at that point. You know, if yeah. I'm if I'm being honest, I would never want to not play for Australia. But if I if I felt as a 16, 15, 16 year old, I felt shunned by the system here and left bitter, mm. and then I go over there for a couple of years, and then there's someone in my ear over there like play for us. You know, like who knows what decision I would have made, right? Yeah. Um, and that's a young kid. You can't you can't blame a young mindset that's left something that he loves and then have that bitter feeling, right? Mm. Um. It's like kind of dating another girl just to get back at your ex-girl no, or, or whatever yeah, it yeah. is, right? Um, so there was those opportunities. But thankfully, you know, I wasn't really in the national uh, – the, the state squad at that point. I was an emergency but ended up getting a letter in uh, – I think it was August or September of that year, which would have been 2000 and – what was it, 2001? Um, you've been invited to the Australian National Junior Team selection camp. Um, of a squad of you know 40 odd 40 odd 50 odd players and I was like wow like you know I'm finally someone's noticed mm. all, the, all the work I'm putting in and kind of I was really tearing up the local rep scene at that point and yeah they you know Marty Clark they, were, they basically told me it was somewhat a wild card um, invite like they didn't really expect anything of me they just heard that I was playing really well down there they generally select the Australian national team camps from the state nationals that year well, I didn't go to a state nationals. <laughs> so I was one of the few kids that yep. wasn't at a state nationals that was unknown. They're just like, oh, we'll just let him come with who he's, he's, he's working hard down there, kind of pat on the back mm. type motivational, you know, participation award to the camp. And then yep. 
yeah, I got to the camp at the AIS. It was two days and, and they offered me a scholarship the first day um, yeah. after the first two sessions because I just, you know, I had a chip on my shoulder. I was trying to beat the shit out of everyone. Mm. All these kids that, you know, everyone told me were better than me and I'd never amount to them and blah, blah, blah. And they were all, you know, a lot of those kids were, were committee kids and kids that were involved in clubs and staples in their clubs. There were um, certain power clubs that like... Yeah, cough, and not cough, just that, they were the kids. <laughs> that and just they were the kids that were around and the parents were friends with the coach yeah. and blah, 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 blah. Whereas our family was never that, right? So mm. um, got there and then that that obviously ruled out Europe for me. I was like, finally, I can go to that. So I went to the AIS yeah. and then, yeah, I mean, Europe popped up again though. It popped up again. So yeah. I signed a letter of intent to go to Utah my first year at the AIS mm. um, and then that fell through because of some some um, school transcripts. Um, the NCAA was just being, they were basically being dicks with my transcripts saying that one of my classes was, um, was called sports studies. It was half physical, half social science credit yeah. points at, at a school in Canberra. NCAA said it's either one or the other can't be can't be half and half. So then mm. what that meant was I was short a credit point on either of them. So if I put yep. it all to physical, I was short a social social science. If I put it all, you know, so then mm. I was like, shit, I got to do another six months of school just to get my credit up. Mm. So I stayed at the AIS for my second year, go to the world world junior championships, tear it up, play real well, and then um, at this point I was kind of NBA late second round on, on all the draft boards, um, if that. Um, not really knew who I was. After that tournament, I started hitting some boards late second. And then right after that tournament, got multi-million dollar offers from European teams. So yeah. um, I still remember, you know, I think it was Panathinaikos, Olympiakos. Um, I think Benetton was a big club at the time. Mm. There was some talks there. And then and then I went to Croatia. So my family and I, my parents came to Greece for that tournament. Mm. They went back to Croatia for the first time since they migrated from Australia. Yeah. I went with them. We saw our family and whatever. And then Sabona found out I was in Croatia. I met with their um, their president, and they offered me a deal on the spot as well. And mm. look, it was it was definitely something I thought about. You know, a, a million dollar contract for you know seventeen, eighteen year old yeah. kid that didn't have anything but coins in his pocket um, all throughout his life was definitely enticing, but. Um, I gave my word that I was going to go to the University of Utah and I like yeah. to think I'm, if I shake your hand or sign a document, I'm, I'm going to live up to that word and yeah. ended up ended up still going over there. No, that's, yeah, it is It is kind of an amazing, because you see both paths playing out, right? There's the path, that the obviously the college path is the predominant one, but then you see the European one with guys like Rubio, et cetera. I mean, it's easy. It's probably more applicable for. It's probably more appropriate for them, given that they've grown up in those systems, right? They're Barcelona Academy guys going through, um, so it kind of makes more sense. But yeah, it's a tough decision for, especially you know, young in a career. You never know what happens with injuries, etc. It's a lot of money to turn down. But man, you did the right. You clearly, clearly did it the right thing. There. It worked out. It worked yeah, out okay. Hard, I think hard to tell a young kid that at the time. Um, but and then not only that, I knew like I, you know. Uh, some friends that were agents at the time I had to sign with at the time, but just were saying, look, you you know, it is Europe. You might not get all your money anyway. <laughs> you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, like it could, and, and I think Benetton ended up going into big financial problems within years of that. Um, so, you know, it's just one of those things. You just, you, you know, you lose a few games on the trot in Europe and your paycheck doesn't show up. So it doesn't look, show it, it up and out. your hot water stops running and you, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah you rent in your apartment and you get evicted. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh shit! Um, I don't. I have just a couple more things before you go, mate. Um, you copped a lot, like speaking of coming back to the NBL, like a lot of flack from the establishment. Not in, like growing up 
in the junior, you know, in the junior system, which is highly political. Everyone knows it's highly political, right? Um, you cop, you copped a lot from the MBL establishment, whether it be the media management, etc. You know, it was very much painted as a pantomime villain of sort of like the MBL. Do you have ever? Do you ever have any regrets about like coming back to the MBL and just? dealing with that shit when you just could have just gone into, you know, could have lived a very comfortable life after your time in the NBA? No, not really. You know, I think people forget, like, people would, you know, compare my numbers as a, you know, 34-year-old <laughs> to yeah. to other players. You know, I think um, I think I, I was more proud of getting the Sydney Kings back to where they needed to be and not mm. even win-loss-wise, but just as an organisational structure, as, as a club that, you know, is one of the bigger clubs in the NBL, getting them back to where they're respected and professional. But, mm. you know, people forget if, if I'm if I'm playing in the NBL, you know, 23, 24 years old, like it's 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 a know, different ball game. Yeah. It's a much of a different ball game. Like I'd 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 you know, I don't like to be sound cocky, but like I'd I'd would have broken a lot of records, right? Um yeah. but it's like one of those things that you're you're all of a sudden um doing it as a 34, 35 year old, a lot of young kids are coming trying to get mm go at me right which is fair enough so um my numbers weren't mind-boggling but i still think i contributed pretty mm. pretty well and had a especially the first year you know led the league in blocks and rebounds as, a, as an old old guy on on one leg and a bad back so mm. i don't regret it i mean i was happy to go toe-to-toe with people that were going at me and i expect yep. people to go at me and but expect fire back and i think that's what's not not allowed in australian sport it's like these media pundits and these analysts and like you say, the NBL establishment media, they can yep. go at you and criticize you as soon as an athlete goes back. It's like, oh, he's arrogant, tall poppy. Oh, he shouldn't be going back. He should take the higher road. It's like, mm. why? If you're gonna have a crack at me, I'm gonna have a crack back. Like you better, it's the same as me. Like if I have a crack at someone, people have a crack back. I expect that. I'm happy with yep. that back and forth and that banner. And as long as it's not abusive or, you know, mm. threatening in any way or, or going below the line yep. that way. But you know, it's the same as social media. People abuse me daily with yeah, rhetoric, cool. death threats, this, that. And as soon as I go back, people are like, oh, you shouldn't go back. You should know better. It's like, well, I'm going to defend myself. And I think that's what's not liked in Australia. It's not liked in mm. Australian sport. It's the whole tall poppy. You need to, you're an athlete, your sport, just shut up and take the abuse. It's like, well, I'm not going to do that. Like, I'm going to go back at you. And that's, I think, why I copped a lot of flack, um, not just in the NBL, but, you know, in Australian in a uh, mainstream media to an extent and just people in general. But I think most everyday people um, can kind of, understand where i'm coming from but it's, mm-hmm. it's more the establishment that put put paint a picture of who i am um in people's heads and people that as we've seen through COVID, that just sit in front of their tv and and think that's all gospel those people have that view yeah and it's the same like to a lesser extent right like but social social media has been like it's very harsh and tall poppy in terms of athletes returning to like even Delhi's copped it this year, man. Like, not not on your level. I'm not saying it's even close to what you've you've copped. But like, Delhi comes back to the NBL as well, and all you see on NBL Twitter is like, early in the year, Melbourne United have a couple of losses. Everyone's like, waste of money. What's it called? Can't shoot the three. What the hell's going on? And now Melbourne United's on top, right? And everyone's all of a sudden silent, right? Like, it's funny how these like there are certain guys around the league, and again, like you know. Joe ever decided to come back, Paddy decided to come back. 
Like, you guys know how to win, man. And then you guys come back and franchises that Melbourne weren't expected to be top either, right? And they're there and, he, and he's a big reason for it as well. It's kind of funny how these guys who return, it's, it's everyone goes, how great is it they return? Then all of a sudden they start shitting on them, right? Like on social yeah, media. Yeah, or they're really comparing, they'll compare Adeli to a, a, an NBL import or someone that's in their prime yeah. at 23, 24, putting up big numbers on a team that's not great. And like, look, this guy's better because his numbers are better. It's like, no. No, no. He's you'd rather have Delhi on your team every day. Yeah. Exactly. It's just like, you know, Delhi wins. Delhi's, he knows what it takes for guys to, you know, as a point guard, I, I need to get this guy a shot. I, I need to pick up full court. Or I need to dive on that loose ball. They don't show up on a stat sheet. So it's for it's for the lazy pundits that pick up a stat mm. sheet and say Delhi had six and seven, um, didn't make a three. They won, but uh, horrible numbers. But but this guy from this team had thirty. He's better. Like no, yeah. no, it doesn't work out. And you you can't explain that to people. Um, no. You can't explain. You know, it was like when I was on. I knew when I was on the court in the NBL. I knew I could see guys would, would veer away from the paint, right? Mm. Because they knew you know if you're going to come and contest me, I'm going to at least contest it. I might get a piece of it. I'm going to make you change your mm. shot. That can't be equated in stats. So I, I knew my paint protection was elite in the NBL, right? But yep. you, you try to explain that, oh, he's not blocking as many shots this season or whatever, but but I've, I've, I've deferred or made people get out of the paint in general. Correct. Same as Daly. It's like you see a lot of these primary ball handlers that Melbourne United play against, they get rid of the ball in the backcourt because they don't want yeah, to bring up the ball. They don't want to bring up the ball against Delhi and ain't even Shea Ely to an extent because yeah. they're just they're hounding you the whole fucking game. Like if yeah. you're a star import that has to score and bring the ball up, you're like, nah, I don't want to bring this shit up. Give it to someone else. Let me get over over half. And, and you, you can't pick up a stat sheet and say, Delhi made that import turn three or four times every time you brought the ball over. You can't, you know, and everyday, everyday people, pundits, they, they have no clue about that. No, exactly. And a um, couple of very quick NBL questions and just a general discussion about um, Rogue Bogues. Melbourne United, Cal Dalton goes down off their bench, right? End of the bench guy, opening up a roster spot. Do they go get another import? I think they will. I mean, Dean Vickerman's pretty, been pretty vocal, but I think yeah. I have to check what how many games they, they have left. Um, the, the time's close. You get to play seven games, right? So yeah. with visa, coronavirus and all that stuff. Um, they might be biting time, but I, I you know, Vickerman was was only in, in the media He's with hounding tear-jerked, every press conference. Right? Well, yeah, tear jerked message to his owners to get me another import. We don't have enough, but I, look, I think they're favourites. Pressure's on them. Um, they have whether you like it or not, they still have a loaded roster. <laughs> like they have mm. a very loaded roster. Um, yeah, and they got one of the best you know Australian boomers in the NBL on their roster. So. Um, they've been a, a big surprise. I didn't have them in my four. No. I thought they'd be five in my in my preseason, um, but th- they've done very very well. And you, f- you forget, you know, yeah. Chris is still an elite. He's probably the best Australian, Australian. scorer. Man, um, the amount of shit I cop for saying that is just well, who, like, are, who else? Who's a better Australian? Score. I know, right? Everyone and he's probably yeah. It drives me insane. Who like, else? Who are they saying? Who else? I don't so know. Do I don't even know. They just go, oh, like. But this has been over. Like, so they'll tell me Creek, for example, right? Like, not pure just, scorer. Yeah, Creek not pure does scorer. more. Creek probably does more for you yeah. as far as defensively rebounding, bringing the ball up. Mm. Pure scorer, get me a bucket. It's Australian Chris. Australian passport. Chris, there's, there's, yeah. he's one, two, and three in my opinion. I think Sobey's Sobey's getting there, but Chris is just that elite. He, he's an elite scorer. Like he's a bucket. Like it's like, hey, hey, man, offense is shit right now. Put it between your legs. Put it behind your back. Get us a bucket. You'll get your bucket, right? So that's not even an argument in my opinion. Other quick question: Perth, they get through this process right with RHC. They come in that they're okay. Playoff time. Or do you think they're, the alarm bells should be ringing? 
Nah, they get that that home stint was was Casey. I, I had them. I still had them in the four. I had them a bit lower. Mm. I think I had them three or four, based on preseason. I didn't think McGowan would open the borders. So the yeah. fact that now they're going to have that that same old home stint they get towards the end of every season to fine tune their play and they'll, they'll get on a little run here. They're still going to be very very tough to beat, especially with home court. So it'll just be a matter of where they finish. Um, if they're three and four, a little bit of a different story. But if they sneak into two, um, yeah. it changes a lot. So I think it's um, the final five games too, right? So you still get two games at home, and then you can get three shots at, you know, like another team to three road games to take a swing at, right? Exactly, um, and and they're they're pretty good on the road generally. This season yeah. hasn't been as good, but they've been on the road for what a couple of months, so it's probably a different ball game. But I think Perth is still, I still think Perth. I think I think it's going to be one of the closest seasons for the to fit that yep. five into four that we've seen well, in a while. Sydney, obviously your team, happy with the progression. I mean, it's a road-heavy schedule coming home, but I didn't really know the team. The NBL hasn't released a schedule, but in commentary they kind of talk about that it's a pretty good schedule. So I, I, it's hard to read, right? But you're confident getting into the four and then going from there? Yeah, look, our strength of schedule is going to be pretty favourable to us, um, yep. even though they are more road games. We've played Perth twice, we've played Melbourne three times, we've played South East Melbourne, mm. I think, twice. So we've played a lot of the top four teams. I think we've played Illawarra twice as well. So yep. we only have one one game against each of those teams left. So I think one in Perth, um, one in, I think, one more South East Melbourne, which is next in week. Melbourne. And, yep. Yeah, and Illawarra and Melbourne. I don't, I don't think we have Melbourne again, I'm not sure. No, um, you don't have Melbourne again, yep. Yeah, we don't. So look, we've got... But we've got you know Cairns battles. Um, we've yeah. we've probably we've probably struggled more against it's the smaller teams. Like you've lost yeah, to New Zealand, Tasmania, like, New yeah. Zealand. So we've struggled against the teams below us because I feel like we, we give our best shot to the teams above us, and mm. we're still figuring out when we're top dog that we should be we got to be you know come out and be professional and, and treat that game like it is a Perth. Um, and I think that's where we've struggled, and we need to change our mindset a little bit. But yeah, favorably the, the the schedule's in our favor, strength schedule wise. So I think we should we should be in the top four. But I mean, the question is who goes out then? You know, so the Illawarra, um, Southeast Melbourne. That was the next question. Illawarra, they write the ship. Everyone's like they're still in the four, right? They're still in the four as today. But there's like everyone's writing your obituaries for Illawarra already. And um, you you in that camp or not really? Yeah, it's it's tough. I'm, I'm Melbourne. Melbourne and Perth are in. I think Perth based on their home schedule. I gotta say Sydney because I'm biased. So call it what it is. Um, I'm gonna have to back them. So then it comes down to Southeast Melbourne and Illawarra. I actually said you know Southeast Melbourne. I think could potentially fall out. Um, but they're they're, they're playing okay now. Um, because I just don't like to doubt Gorge. I think they'll get it right. I just feel like Illawarra at times they played well a couple of nights ago, but it just seems like whose team is it? Who scores when they need a bucket? Um, it seems like it's still a wrestle with that right yeah. whereas I think last season it was obviously Harvey and Harvey, the role yeah. players around that whereas this season they got more scoring um, but less defense and, and even Gorge mm. in his in his post game I, I caught that interview a couple of nights ago they asked him like how are you handling having all these offensive threats and he's like you know it is hard but it's it's on the flip side I'm trying to get him to play more defense um, so you don't usually see that from his teams they usually grind you out defensively but they just don't have any real lockdown defenders on that roster um, Cleveland's probably their best defender um and it's yeah I, I, I'm interested to see where they go but they'll be they'll they'll be a tough beat late they'll tweak so I, I don't know I'm, I'm flipping a coin between Illawarra yeah. and and then Southeast Melbourne. Southeast Melbourne and Southeast Melbourne actually kind of changed their dynamic too we've had this discussion off air that like you know Mitchell does like a hard show and recover um and he's kind of changed that ball game for them but then at the same time they're kind of losing a 
asset in the sense of Joe Chi as well. Like he brings size to the table every night, and he, and he, you know, he's a talented guy as well. Um, how do you see them? Yeah, it's been interesting watching Joe Chi's journey because he was playing thirty mm. odd minutes early on, and I knew from the start that Mitchell's a big up to touch show guy on ball screens mm. um, with bigs, and you know, coaching the drops. Is, is an art form. You know, it's mm. not something that you can just be like, hey, big fella, stand in the basket and pick and rolls. Like, it's not as easy as that. There's a whole lot that goes into it. And I just don't think Mitchell's comfortable with coaching it. Um, it's not a knock on him. I just don't think it's his strength. I think he he's going to relay back to what he's comfortable with that's and best. what he's going to win in games. And that's showing it up to touch. And that's why we're seeing Ashley have take, has taken a lot of his minutes. And even mm. Dane has taken a lot of them. Dane's a really good show guy in, mm. in ball screen. So, um, which is interesting. We, we haven't heard the NBL establishment talk too much about Joe G lately because you know he was yeah. heavily pumped up early and no one's really mentioned the fact that he's what is he averaging 19 minutes 20 minutes a game in the last yeah. couple of games um so i'll be interested to see if he gets more minutes maybe it's circumstantial with um matchups but yeah. yeah i think ashley was was a big big pickup for him I, I liked him even a couple of seasons ago at new zealand yeah even before that we had him on our short list with the kings and he was yeah. kind of coming off an injury at that point and we didn't we didn't bite the bullet but um yeah, I like him. I think he he can shoot the ball a little bit. He provides length. He's active. So I think it was a big pickup for them. But they they have a similar thing offensively too. At times, it seems like who is the, guy, the guy for them? We know it's Mumford, we know it's Creek, Creek, but well, then Lee Arthur comes in and yeah, and Lee came in one game and shot was it seven threes shots or something? Yeah, yeah, and you're just like whoa. <laughs> so yeah. there's a bit of a wrestle there. I think at times, I think that's where the frustration lies with some of their group. Mm. Um, but they you know they are a stack roster as well. That that's yeah. that's. You know, ready to win it. So it'll be it'll be fun. It'll be fun. Um, and then you know, I got to give a shout out to Tasmania. I think um, Scott yeah. Roth deserves some credit. I mean, I I, I add them to the bottom. I thought their Same. roster was good one one through six, one through seven. I thought they were good. I thought shit, they're one injury away from a guy that's eight, nine, ten. That's fringe NBL that probably shouldn't be playing a lot mm. of minutes for, the, for that player having to play a lot of minutes, and they'll just fall off. He has them roaring, man. They 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 battle. They play hard. They play together. They know. They know they have to give their best shot physically and and be on loose balls every game, otherwise they have no chance. And for most of the games I caught of them, they they've done a really good job. So I think for basketball fans in Tasmania and and just in general, Scott Roth, I think um you know they deserve a lot of credit. He's done a fantastic job down there. Oh, perfect, man. Um, before I let you go, I wouldn't, of course I wouldn't let you go without talking about Rogues Bogues, mate. What was the motivation behind that? What made you get into the podcasting game? And um, you loving it? Yeah, look, it's been good. It's been good. Uh, we're, we're about to announce um, some pretty pretty good numbers mm. for us um, tomorrow, I hope. Um, some pretty good news with, with the way it's tracking. So, right. yeah, it's started off just mainly as basketball, but now starting to, to go into a whole whole lot of different Orange realms. Things. Some love it, some hate it, and, and just, just being able to talk to influential people about different things, mm. even away from basketball, um, some political social commentary, which I like to engage in. Um, even just trying to get people on, I have debates about different things that you know we might disagree upon. I think is is, mm. is something that's just not done enough in Australia. So I'm in the process of of actually making it a little bit bigger and, and setting up a proper studio. I've, I've had that in the plans for two years, but yeah. the whole you know Australian government slash COVID has has kind of made me change my plans a little bit with all mm. that and getting all that set up. So I'm I'm excited about it. You know, it's it's yeah. I, I guess why did I do it? Because I knew that I'm pretty vocal about you know, different things. And I, I, I know that that's not appreciated a lot these days by a lot of people out there. So to get a mainstream deal, I can't I can't bite my tongue and, no. and, and be a lapdog like most people that work in mainstream media are. So I thought the mm. next best thing is 
do a podcast. I can do it whenever I want. It's not a schedule that, you know, one week I can do five podcasts and I might not do one for a month, right? Yeah. And there's no one sitting behind my shoulder behind while I'm on the microphone, you know, mm-hmm. giving me the sign under their, under their chin, hey, don't, don't say that or don't talk about that. It's like, nah, I'm talking about what I want to talk about. People are going to love mm-hmm. it or hate it and then we get on with life. So that's been, that's been the MO so far and I think people appreciate it. Yeah, exactly. And in society now, there's sort of like this mantra now, which is really weird that, you know, if you disagree with someone on an on an issue, then you can't be friends with them, you can't like them, you can't like them for a variety of other... It's it's really weird now where it's so dogmatic. Like, I mean, I'm a dogmatic person, but I don't like to think that I would ever judge people. Like, people can disagree on things and still be mates and still be all good and all this. But now it's just so... Everything's a conflict now, man. Like, it's it's fucking... It's a wild time oh, out It's polarised. It's yeah. like... That's what, chil- that's what children do. Children yeah. do that. Like, yeah, oh, I'm friends with that person now. I'm not friends with you. Oh, you, you like that colour? I don't like that colour, so I can't yeah. like you anymore. Children do yeah. that. Like, it's... Yeah, and you can disagree and you can have... Like, I've got... I've gotten... With, with friends of mine and people that I... That I have my life that I like. We've yeah. gotten heated debates about different things, but we're still friends. Like, and it's yeah, like correct. Uh, like, you're not going to agree about And that's the thing. And difference is important. Like, difference in opinion is healthy for any society. Like, that's what that's what mate. Like, yeah, you know, I've worked with Seb on this pod for years, right? Like, Seb and I agree on a lot of things, like a lot of fundamentals in life, but we also disagree on a whole lot of things as well. And it's part of what makes good friendships as well. Like, you need points of view that are different in your life to to challenge your opinions too and some of my best mates like in, like as i said seb others like uh very very different to me in a lot of in a lot of spaces i, I think that's healthy and I, I just don't think there's enough of that in society today and i i, I don't think there's enough acceptance of that and I, i'm glad like it's awesome to have you involved in the podcast like your, your basketball podcasts are elite but all of it is elite you know and it, it's great to have you involved mate and um uh, like you've always supported uh seb and i and that as well and i can't thank you enough for that and mate you're just, you're just a good bloke and i can't i can't say that enough to the people out there so um no nah, thank and no, thanks for coming on today much. mate no, i know mate much. i won't i, I that's <laughs> it mate like that's what i mean like it we become my, mates over. My, my marketing marketability oh, mate, that's that it, mate. don't worry coming on this show will probably won't help you either it's not not obviously the same platform as yours but there's a lot of people who hate us as well but anyway Everyone should definitely check out the Rogues Bogues podcasts on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And I just want to say thanks for coming on the show today, brother. It's been very much appreciated. Oh, good, man. Thank you. And that's another episode of the Best in Greenway podcasts. You can find our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all major podcasting platforms. If you did enjoy this podcast, please subscribe. And even leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you can. It would be very much appreciated, especially if you give us five stars and maybe even a written review. Uh, But thanks to Bogues again for coming on the show today. Make sure to check out his podcast as well, the Rogues Bogues podcast. I'm planning, in regards to this podcast, I'm, I'm planning to record another podcast later in this week to discuss the upcoming NBL round and I really hope you'll all be able to join me again. So uh, have a great week, everyone, and I'll see you soon.